speaking of hair changes, I cut my own hair this oh, week. Oh, oh okay, I think it yeah. looks pretty good. It only took me about two hours and a lot of panic. <laughs> I feel like I'd be kind of annoyed if I paid for this haircut, but yeah. for something I did myself. Um, the first I'm, time? I'm, yeah, for I'm fairly proud. Yeah. So will you shave my head if the occasion calls for it? Sure. Yes, absolutely. Excellent. This is good-looking people in small, clever rooms that utilize every centimeter of available space with mind-boggling efficiency, and we live for applause from exactly two hands. Your hands. Welcome back. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with Brianna. Yo. And as always, we're joined by my mom, Norma. Hello. And by our friend, Vinny. Hey, hey. So uh, our reading this week is composed... Well, I don't know. Is the biggest chunk of pages that end note? It was a really uh, big chunk. I don't it's know a pretty it was big chunk. Big. Yeah. It, was, it was a big piece of our reading. Is this end note that's a transcript of Oren's answers to Helen Steepley's interview questions? Yeah, I think in terms of page count, the um, discussion between Arslanian and all of the people is longer, but I'm not sure because the end note is also a smaller typeface. So mm -hmm. it's a question. There's a lot of information in it for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For sure. Interestingly, the we're, we only hear Oren's answers. We don't hear the questions. Right. right. Yeah. Which is odd. Annoying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so since we're that, it kind of got me thinking. This could even be if we heard Helen in this um, section, but the fact that we don't hear Helen a reflection of Orin, or is it because this is a different Helen Steeple? Hmm. Oh, shoot. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I've never considered that. I don't know. That. I kind of assume that it's because it's Helen's notes, and so we're only hearing, we're only reading the answers. Hmm. Um. I don't know, though. It's an odd choice. Yeah. I mean, that would also make sense... Because if it were a recording, we would naturally hear the uh, questions as well. Mm -hmm. But if right. they're just notes, then... Right. I don't know. The way that Oren is hitting on Helen Steeply makes me think that it's Steeply. Helen Steeply. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It made me wonder how much Helen Steeply is really asking and how much mm. Oren is just just talking on and on. Offering. Offering. Mm -hmm. Offering mm -hmm. instead of answering necessarily. Like like is Helen really asking all of this stuff? Or is this just extraneous stuff that Helen Steeply didn't really care about knowing? Uh, <laughs> but Oren once the floodgates open, yeah, and he's so taken with Helen Steeply, does he just start blathering like uh, what's his name on cocaine, like Lentz, like mm. Randy oh, Lentz, yeah. just yeah. going like he just I he's instead of telling him nothing, he's telling him everything. Yeah, right. It kind yeah. of to me felt sort of similar. 
Yeah, well, he's I surely feel like, going into detail. Yeah, he's going into detail, but he's not really going into the detail that Steeply wants him to go into. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, how can any of this be pertinent to Steeply's undercover work? Right. Maybe some of it is, probably. But So where does one even start with it? Well, why don't... I mean, there's so there's this little pre this little prologue before it dumps us into this end note where Oren has met up with this Swiss hand model oh right who approached him at the airport after dropping off Helen steeply I immediately suspected that she too is some kind of undercover like that was too oh, yeah absolutely. that was obviously too weird like it, well and the fact that she's carrying a football and uh and that she sets out family photos on the dresser oh, yeah. because they have some some awareness of Oren's proclivities. Like, right. right. It's, yeah, very clearly designed just to entrap him. Mm-hmm. So is it just For is sure. it is it Helen Steeply's like uh, like counterpart? Is rewarding or rewarding Oren for no? Why? Why would why why would stuff? they do that? I don't know. Maybe Helen I, Steeply kind of likes Oren too. I don't know. I doubt it. Yeah, <laughs> I doubt it too. <laughs> I, I know. I, I think. I think that. So They're here's not what I think. Talking or anything or. That, yeah, I'm. I'm unclear what the hand model wants from him, but right. it seems pretty clear to me that the hand model is Canadian. Um, oh, this is so jumping right to side. the end of our oh, reading, but it oh. says he finds it odd when he's talking about the. Um, the wheelchair fans that he has. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The the legless surveyor had the same Swiss accent as the hand model. So I oh. think that Oren has mistaken a Quebec accent for a Swiss accent. Yeah. I don't think I know what Quebec accent sounds like. To me, it just sounds like a French accent. I'm sure that if I were a native French speaker, I'd be able to discern more detail in that i think i've heard that continental french speakers consider the quebec accent kind of rural or like almost hillbilly-ish yeah um but to somebody who doesn't speak french or only speaks a little french right like i couldn't tell the difference between a continental french accent or a french canadian accent or a swiss french accent they would all sound the same to me Mm. Mm. or they might sound different but you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to define where they right. they came from. Right. So that would lead one to believe then that they're, everyone's pumping uh, Oren for information. Yeah. I think that the AFR is just following steeply around and investigating oh. the same people that he investigates oh. just so that oh, they okay. know that they have the same information that the oh, okay. Office of Unspecified Services has. Okay. Yeah, although, are we saying that the hand model then is part of the AFR? Or is the hand model a separate mm, Quebec? I'm not act? clear on that. Yeah, because, I mean, I would think that if she was part of the AFR, then she would, you know, be in a wheelchair. Yeah, so I don't know how this works, whether the AFR ever contracts with people who are not actual wheelchair assassins or whether mm. their membership is solely and exclusively people who have who have lost their legs to trains. Do we know that she's not in a wheelchair? It doesn't. I mean, it's interesting that she's a hand model. It says she models hands. It says they're standing in the hotel room. I think. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. All right. 
Um, from what I've gathered from our understanding of Marat and Marat's understanding of the AFR, uh, it feels like the AFR doesn't necessarily like to uh, interact with other uh, Quebecois movements. Right. Mm. I guess they uh, yeah. were pretty distasteful about the Antitois brothers. Like they, yeah, they didn't have any use for them. Right. Mm-hmm. They they didn't feel a kinship. They felt right murderous instead. <laughs> <laughs> and then Dunn did the murder. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's the lead-in. That's which the lead-in to the. the and and then it, it then, right? like it flashes back to this interview with Helen. Right. Which presumably happens over the course of a couple days, I think. Like, there's, as I recall, like a couple different interview sessions, and then Oren drops. He drops her off at the airport on November 11th, which is where many of the characters in the story are right now. And boy, does he spew stuff about his family for somebody who is reluctant. Yeah, who, who first says, I'm not going to talk right. about that. Like, that's the first answer that, that's in the transcript here is him saying he's not going to talk about these things, and then that's all he talks about. Mm-hmm. One thing that Oren keeps doing is sort of asking, like, I don't know, is that insanity or is that not insanity? Or what is right. insanity? Right. Mm-hmm. I looked up definitions for insane just out of curiosity. Mm. Oh. Um, so, number one definition in, I suppose it was the wiki. Wiktionary or something. Wiktionary, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. In a state of mind which prevents normal perception or behavior or social interaction. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, definition two is shocking or outrageous. Like, oh, well, that's insane. Right. But then mm-hmm. psychology today defines it. So, insanity is mental illness of such a severe nature that a person cannot distinguish fantasy from reality, cannot conduct her or his affairs due to psychosis, or is subject to uncontrollable compulsive behavior. Mm -hmm. Thinking back to my uh, psychology class in high school, if I can if I can remember that far at the time, I don't think that insane is um, a term that's used medically anymore. Right. but the it would have been the DSM four B at the time had uh, had a set of criteria for uh, determining whether something was a mental illness, uh, like whether a behavior constituted a mental illness, and the the criteria that it has it's probably changed since then. But at the time, the criteria that it had to meet were that it had to be abnormal, so something that most people didn't do. It had to be disturbing. Uh, either to the patient or to other people around the patient. And it had to be maladaptive. So something that was like objectively bad for the person who was exhibiting these traits. Uh Um, Mm -hmm. And so behaviors have to meet all three of these criteria to be considered an illness or a diagnosable condition. Yeah. When you say bad, though, you mean like... Like unhealthy or um, like not contributing to the well-being of the person or like actively detracting from the well-being of the person. Right. OK. Or what about or society? Or society. Well, maladaptive. I, 
again, I I am okay. not a psychologist, and and I, what? I suspect You're not? there's a new ver. The DSM five came out after I finished that class, and so I'm sure it's all changed since then. But I believe that maladaptive was just talking about that specific patient, like unhealthy eating habits, or like if you were doing something that could contribute to other negative mental states, you could call that maladaptive. Mm-hmm. But just being rude to to other people, for instance, wouldn't necessarily be maladaptive to the person exhibiting that behavior. It might be abnormal and disturbing, but not necessarily maladaptive. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's important, this distinction of like, is this insanity or is this not insanity? But he certainly brings it up a lot mm-hmm. during this interview. It keeps popping up in different little bits of it. I thought there was also early on in the interview, he mentions, I think it's when he's talking about, is this insanity or, you know, what is insanity? When he says that James O. impersonated healthcare workers during the period he believed he was a healthcare professional. Right. Yes. So is that referring to the time that mm-hmm. he interviewed uh, Hal? Yeah. The Hal thing with the conversationalist. The, the conversationalist. I, I assume, we can assume that it really was. Yeah, him. and 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 Truly based based on this obviously. remark, I assume that that's a thing he did with some frequency, and not just with Hal, <laughs> but with other people right. as well. Right. But yeah. I thought it was interesting that that he he impersonated them during the period he believed that he was. Mm-hmm. He believed mm-hmm. that he was a healthcare professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think so. He was like what? I think they were. Or? Two separate things that he impersonated healthcare professionals, which right. is where we get to the conversational part. Right. But then after a while, he impersonated healthcare professionals so much that he started to was. believe that he was. Somewhere he references uh, this Rafferty with the New Yorker, who I also looked up just out of, it was just in passing. Oh, hmm. is this the, the critic? Yeah, Terrence Rafferty, film critic. Is that a real person? Yes, he was a film critic Ah. who wrote regularly uh, for the New Yorker during the 90s, and his particular penchant was for horror films. Ooh. Just as a little tidbit. Huh. Yeah, which is weird then that he would be watching James O's films. Yeah, although I think that a lot of James O's work kind of occupies that space in between like schlock horror movies or, or genre pictures and mm. art film. You know, we were talking about this some at your, your class visit that like a, a George Kuchar kind of occupies that space too. Yeah. Um, and, and I, so I could, I could potentially see uh, a hoity toity horror critic getting into like genre explorations in the avant-garde space. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean the only thing that I, that that doesn't quite ring true to me about that story is that he would he would like go underground in shame for years after James O. Right. Uh, re- reveals yeah. that the that found drama is a like a scam or a joke. But you it, it implies the embarrassment that you feel if you publicly go all in on something kind of talking yeah, about somebody else's work and then they come out and say, ha, oh, that's just ridiculous. That except this is, the, this, this comes <laughs> back to like criticism. Like I, I, I think that yeah. this is again, like it, it's putting forth this idea that the purpose of a critic is to, is to like try and decode what an artist meant to say. Right. And that if an artist <laughs> disagrees with them, it means that they're objectively wrong. 
you know, like mm-hmm. they filled in the wrong answers on the test and they got an F. Yeah. Where, yeah. Whereas I think that if this were to happen in real life in our world, like if a filmmaker really leaned into this idea of found drama and and got other people on board with it and then came out later and said, like, oh, I just think it's I'm a big kidding. joke. I'm just kidding. I, I think I think that other people who were all in on the idea of found drama and weren't in on the joke would say, well, it's a good idea. And if you think it's just funny and that you're making fun of us, like maybe you misunderstand what it is that you've made. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because yeah. honestly, they so have as it's much not right just that to one an opinion. In a vacuum. Yeah, right. right. They have as much right to the opinion as the person who is making the the films. Right. It's reader response criticism. It it's right. so freeing. Damn right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's what makes this podcast possible. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Because <laughs> what do we know about David Foster Wallace's brain? Right. And the point is that we don't need to. So it also comes up the question of why Oren isn't in contact with moms, right? Right. And he basically says that he just doesn't trust her. Mm-hmm. But what he does asks, that even is she mean? insane? But, but he doesn't trust her. Well, so there's definitely a personality conflict between the two of them. But I also, it, it sounds to me like maybe he just got fed up with what he felt like, like it would just kind of the way that she cultivates relationships. And he does, ha- he does have some pretty withering things to say about her. You know, he's not exactly a reliable narrator, but if they're true, they're, they're pretty like they, they changed the way I think about her as a parent. Right. The thing about how she believes that petroleum products give you leukemia. So she lets her kids put the gas in the rototiller. Right. I felt like running through the whole thing when he's talking about his mother uh, mm-hmm. and siblings is real, a uh, real sibling jealousy, a real feeling that he is not the loved son. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like she For is sure. willing to sacrifice him to handle the petroleum products. That said, I think he does have some genuine concern for Hal and his estimation of like the state that Hal is in kind of makes me reassess Hal as a character, too. Right. <clears throat> he thinks Hal is, is far too eager for the mom's approval, kind of at the expense of everything else. I um, feel like... And that, that, that living so close to her for so long has really distorted his view of the world. Yes, he's worried about Hal, but he also resents the relationship that Hal has with moms. And that colors Oh, yeah, the whole for thing, sure. Absolutely. You know, so it's hard to say whether he's... He sees issues with that relationship, but I don't know how. I get. I guess he cares about Hal. I don't know. Oren isn't exactly a picture of well-adjusted. <laughs> so no kidding. I feel like mm-hmm. he doesn't have room to talk. Maybe. I. <laughs> it certainly like, means that you should take his perceptions of a situation with a grain of salt. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He does draw a line. He draws a line in at talking about his father's suicide. At a certain point, he kind of stops himself from talking about the mom's issues. And he says he doesn't want Hal or Mario to have to read some authoritative report on his take of it instead of coming to their own right. terms about it. Right. Which, mm-hmm. which seems pretty considerate coming from Oren. Yeah, or maybe yeah. he just doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> and that mm. sounds like a, Maybe. a a noble reason not to. I mean, Maybe. who knows with Oren? We learn so much about the family through this because, you know, he talks about how his father and mother both 
in many ways would fit the definition of being insane, being yeah. mentally ill, yeah. except that they are both so, they both ac- accomplished or are accomplishing so much. It's mm-hmm. like they are not debilitated. Yeah. And well, I think there's an important distinction that we have to make between being insane and being mentally ill. And right, I think right. it's yeah. a distinction right. that the text is making as well. That I guess that's you know, true. Yeah. His discussion's not necessarily. Um, it's about OCD and obsessive compulsive disorder and whether or not um, the mom right. fits into the definition of obsessive compulsive and being OCD and obsessive compulsive isn't necessarily being that's insane. That's not insane, right? That's yeah. a different, that's totally, right. a totally different uh, And there's some, there, there is some really intriguing stuff that he mentions kind of in that section that we can get into. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are a couple other little details that I thought were intriguing. So he mentions that himself invented a new kind of window glass that doesn't fog or smudge. <laughs> yeah, oh, I wish yeah. I yes. had that. Yes. Yeah. Imagine having glasses made glasses. out of that in the era of masks. Mm-hmm. No. Yes. Oh yeah. my gosh, that would be well, awesome. Even just in the era of, of winters that get cold enough to, mm-hmm. you know, do the inside outside thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and he mentions yeah. it that that uh, Mitsubishi uses it in car windows, which sounds yeah, of delightful. They do. He also mentions, uh, "Oh, Moose, the German Shepherd just walked <laughs> past outside." Oh, yeah, Moose. Mm-hmm. That's such a great name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he mentions that the mom's has got to keep Hal's skull lashed tight to hers. Which is mm-hmm. reintroducing that image from his nightmare early in the book. Right. Oh, right. yeah. Is that Oren's nightmare? That's, that's or Oren's. Nightmare? That's Oren's nightmare. <gasps> I mistook it for Hal's nightmare. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So that's intriguing. But in, that's, ni- in, in Oren's nightmare, it was Hal's head that was stuck to no, Oren's head. No, in Oren's nightmare, it's his head. His but head. clearly, that's an image that has stuck with him that yeah. he's still kind of mm-hmm. chewing on. So getting into this section on OCD where he kind he kind of contrasts his mom's OCD with Marlon Bain's OCD right. and talks about like, as them as kind of like right, that, two different counterexamples within Marlon's Marlon Bain's OCD is totally crippling. To yeah. yeah, well that Marlon Bain's is OCD and that the mom's doesn't have OCD, she's just obsessive. Is that okay. what he's saying? I I that's not what I took from it. I, I hmm. took from it that that he's saying that both of these people have the same compulsions and obsessions, but that the mom's is like m- higher functioning in that she is such a slave to her obsessions and compulsions that she has them very carefully organized as parts of her life. She's, um, and she's that, that allows her to, to be uh, workarounds. Like, yeah, to like be a she's, higher functioning person. Who, and Marlon who, Bain just admires her, right? He's like in awe of her. Does, Isn't I that true? Is that, that, it I says that, that he lived with them for a while. Oh, that's that right. Mar- well, but but he also says that Marlon Bain would have a lot to say about the mom's dysfunctions. Yeah. Right. I thought that the mom's is perhaps obsessive compulsive, but because she's effective at living, that it's... Her, she can mask it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a large part of how mentally ill humans have to function in the world 
Right. You have um, to find ways to work around. Well, it's the same with anything. It's the same right. with having a bad knee. I mean, if it were only that you have the bad knee or that you have OCD, for instance, if that were the only predictor of your outcome for your life, mm-hmm. you know, but it's all about what you do and how you manage and whatever. I mean, we all have disabilities. But also, if and you're good enough them. at coping, right? people believe you less if you're like, oh, yeah. I do have depression. And they're like, but you're so happy. Or, oh, yeah, I do have obsessive compulsive disorder. But you're so organized. Yes, because I have an obsessive compulsive (laughs) disorder. Right, right. (laughs) I'm with Vinny. I read that she had OCD or has OCD. um, But because she's high functioning and it doesn't debilitate her ability to do what she needs to do, that she can play it off as not actually having OCD. To use Oren's kind of pejorative definition of insanity or like like the question about insanity that he raises, I think that he's saying that he does think that she is insane in his definition, but that most people don't. And you would only think that if you got close enough to her to know right. her better. Hmm. And that's exactly how it is with people with mental illness. I felt like he was vacillating. Like he can't, he himself can't quite decide what to make of her. Mm -hmm. He tells that story about uh, before they moved to Enfield, the the gardening and and kind of the, the beginning of her calling the crops her, she calls the crops her green babies. Right. And and w- yes. wouldn't let wouldn't let them eat the zucchini. Never picked right. it. It got monstrous and dry right. and fell off and rotted. I wonder whether he's trying to say something about her parenting philosophy there. Hmm. And and maybe that's the basis for his concern about how. What do you hmm. think she's trying? To, he's trying to say about it though. So my theory is that Oren cut off his relationship with his mother because he felt like whenever he interacted with her it was always about her and her needs and that he he couldn't be himself while he was around her and I think that he's concerned that because Hal has remained so close to her that he will be one of those green babies who who grows monstrous but never gets picked and and eventually oh. dries out and rots. Oh, oh. Mm. oh dear! On I don't know that he's right about that. I I think I think that he's not giving the moms enough credit for her, you know, obsessive like obsessive and extreme concern for the well being of her children. Or um, Hal. Yeah, or Hal. I don't think he's giving enough credit to Hal either. Yeah, but it is true. Like we've seen the conversation that Hal has with the moms in the waiting room. One of those nights that we flash back to. It is true that Hal is like playing along with those vocabulary games. Or yes. says he's still performing for her. Too. And yeah. Hal says in his narration, like, I forget exactly how he puts it, but something about how he just kind of silently hates it, but he he feels compelled to do it anyway he says yeah. he still performs syntactically and grammatically for her like he did when he was 10 yeah and that Hal still is obsessed with her approval obviously yeah right he also makes this statement about he says Hal is so shut down 
talking to him is like throwing a stone in a pond. The kid mm-hmm. has no idea he even knows something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Poor Hal. Yeah. He calls Hal Hallie, right? And then Mario mm-hmm. they call Boo Boo. Mm-hmm. And it struck me all of a sudden that that Boo Boo is, you know, it's a term of endearment and it also means a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of struck me as a, you know. Yeah. You know, I, I could imagine Oren giving Mario that name out of meanness and then Hal mm-hmm. adopting it as a little kid of, and not, not of, ever right. not ever realizing the meanness of it. Yeah. Right. Oren says, again, that Moms worships Mario as some yes. kind of secular martyr to the mess she'd made of her adult life. Right. Uh, and that, that she has a, a front of laissez-faire laid back uh, management where she pretends to let Mario go his own way and do his own thing. When mm-hmm. really that's not what's happening at all. Yeah, he also says uh, the thing about people who are truly and malignantly crazy, their genius is for making the people around them think they themselves are crazy. Which is gaslighting, right? That's kind of right. a yeah. kind of gaslighting. Right. I don't think we have enough information to know whether that was actually going on with the moms and Oren, but it seems pretty clear that that's how he feels about that relationship. Mm-hmm. He also mentions, I'm not quite sure what to make of this, but he mentions that he never once saw his parents fight. Yeah. Ever. In 18 mm. years. 18 years. Well, yeah, which is, it's a little unclear to me what he's trying to communicate by saying that. And I, I really don't know what to take from it at all. Hmm. Except that I think James O is completely emotionally walled off from the rest of the world. And so it, it doesn't surprise me that much. Oh, 100%. Right before he makes that statement about never seeing them fight, he also says that James O had said uh, that cl- cliches earned their status as cliches because they're so obviously true, which sounded like the conversations that have been happening in the AA about AA. You know, the, mm-hmm. the cliches that are sound so stupid that it's embarrassing to say them, but the reason they are cliches is because they turn out to be, like, obvious truth. Mm-hmm. And then there's the big revelation. <laughs> I, wrote a, I wrote a <laughs> note about is? it in all caps uh, that Oren says... The late Stork was the victim of the most monstrous practical joke ever played, in my opinion, is all I'll say. Mm. What does that mean? And I what wondered, what is the question? Well, it was after they was, it was right after he talked oh, about the, right. the a, not, yeah. are, not fighting. Uh, right. And then Q, and then that's his answer. Right. And then he tells the story about Hal and the fungus. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I I have no idea what to make about that. It does seem like a hugely important line. It does. Um, it does. <laughs> but I I don't know I don't know what it's pointing me to. Mm-mm. One other detail that we that we get out of this story though is that I don't know how this relates to anything necessarily, except that it gives us a little backstory that before ETA, Lyle lived in Ontario and the stork would go visit him sometimes. Yeah. Mm. When he had, when there was money, they said, when they had some money, he'd go visit. The whole subsidized time thing is so weird, but 
Oren was already playing tennis before ETA, right? He was yes. already during the period when he was considered gifted, like 11, 12, 13 years old, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's it's what like was the, happening the 90s, when right? Hal like the mid 90s stuff. Yeah. So they were already pushing Oren or Oren wanted to be in tennis, but he was so he was going to tennis school somewhere else or yeah. training or the yeah. or so James so my, o was teaching him or something. My my understanding of Oren's timeline is that he only went to ETA for a couple years before right. he was college aged. Yeah. Right. We learned that uh, Avril's father was a potato baron. A po type yeah, a potato millionaire. In yeah. Yeah. And that that James O is buried in Avril's family plot. Yes. In And in we Quebec. also learned somewhere that that although she doesn't leave the grounds of ETA, that she did go to James O's funeral. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Which would have been to Quebec, apparently. Apparently. Well, I guess well, not I don't necessarily. Know. I, I not mean necessarily. because he's they, they also say it's in the heart of the concavity and the town has been wiped off the map. Oh, right. So I imagine they gone. held the funeral in Boston and then transported him for burial in Quebec. Hmm. Another thing Oren said, it was when he was talking about the incident, the I ate something incident and the mm. rototilling, mm -hmm. rototilling, like mm -hmm. someone walking an untrained St. Bernard. Yes, and I like that. That's funny. Yeah. Trying to handle a rototiller. I've tried to handle a rototiller and that's how it feels. Because St. Mm -hmm. Bernard dragging you about. But he says, mom's four horsemen, her life ruling mm. phobias. Number one, enclosure. Number two, communicational imprecision. Mm -hmm. Three, untidiness. And four is hidden, the unturned card. Mm -hmm. That's very that also ominous. seemed really ominous and important. And yeah. And does Oren feel like he doesn't, like, he knows that there's something else yet with weird with his mother, or do, but he doesn't know, or does he know? I think, And he's yeah, not I sharing it. I read it think? that he knows there is something else, but he's not sure what it is. So what is it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but that's my reading of it, too. He knows that the fourth thing exists, but he doesn't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's big, apparently. Apparently. Mm. Yeah, one of the four horsemen. Yeah. yeah. So there's more here about Marlon Bain, who has who had a some greeting serious... card company. Greeting card Sap company. Saprogenic. Saprogenic yeah, I, greetings. I, I lo looked up saprogenic. Uh, it, saprogenic means causing or produced by putrefaction or decay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a great greeting card company. Uh, well, I think it's important to point out that while Avril's having her nervous breakdown over how eating something that James oh. O is filming it. Oh, right. well, he's not he's not James filming o it. And he's Boo Boo. He's, oh, Im they... he's imagining filming it. He's yeah, doing he's that thing with his thumb. Yeah. 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 Oh, and God. Boo Boo, mm -hmm. Mario is down there by his it, knees like doing the same him. thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're peering out the door while mom's screaming and Hal is out there glucky fungus dripping from his teeth mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that the uh, a neighbor finally had to come out and hook up the hose yeah. i assume that means they had to like just douse like, her with cold water to bring her back to her senses and or maybe something? like Is that it? make like hose out hal's mouth or i don't know oh god <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. They also so there's another thing in here that I feel like is sort of a telling image. Oren says that Hal always said there was always a sense as a kid with the moms that the whole cosmos was just this side of fulminating into boiling clouds of elemental gas and was being held materially together only through heroic exercise of will and ingenuity on the part of the moms <laughs> that like the feeling they get around her is that the whole world is just dangling by a thread and she's she's the force that's holding it together. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, and then that this moment, which is why they would play along with her little right. weird things, because they wouldn't want to do anything that would make her fall apart. Because then everything, and then everything. everything falls apart. And then, but then this is the the one moment that Oren can remember from his childhood where that that it all did fall apart. Yeah, right. There's a really. Uh, I uh, one of the sentences where he where he uses bad grammar too. I and mm-hmm. Hallie, I mm-hmm. and Hallie, I and I and Hallie staggered back, gaping at our first taste of apocalypse. A corner of the universe suddenly peeled back to reveal what seethed out there, just beyond uh, tidiness. What mm-hmm. lay just north of order? Yeah, that's when their mother was running screaming. Chaos. In the, yeah, chaos and, and both, screaming. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. There's also a spot somewhere in here where he says to Helen, is this just good journalism, Helen? I guess I have to hope you won't take advantage. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's all taking advantage, right? Oh, it That's absolutely the whole is. point. Yeah. The mm-hmm. whole point. But I, you know, I, I don't I know. It seems, like he, take it seems like he kind of deserves it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He also describes her as the frigidly invasive reporter. Yeah. It was in one of the footnotes to the end note um, that this came after the incident with the dead bird falling into the hot tub that Oren was in. Mm. Yes, he references Mm -hmm. that again as like a bad omen. Right. Or a bad, definitely a bad omen. Do we remember Mm -hmm. when the dead bird was? Yeah, when was that? Ah. This I want to be... say that was in May or like April or May. Is that possible? This might be something that past Brianna put in the timeline before she started slacking. <laughs> <laughs> Present Brianna can check that out. Good. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that would be interesting to know. Because um, there... if it was all the way back in May, then that was really disturbing to him because he mentions yeah. that and then he mentions the frigidly invasive reporter right which is like just happened to him yeah right but he but he's he's combining it with the dead bird in the hot tub mm-hmm. dead birds the dead yeah. bird necklace the oh yeah, yeah. the albatross yeah uh i have no i have no dead bird okay. in the timeline sorry I want to say it was like the first time we met Oren was I when think that you're happened. Right. That's yeah, I'm, I'm so right. I'm going to zip back to the beginning and see if I can find it here. Okay. Uh, well, we're zipping back. One thing that's neither here nor there, but it's important for me to make note of is that I miss Terry Gross. I no longer listen to Fresh Air because I don't have time to, but I miss her. Yeah? yeah. She seems like a really, I mean, she's a great interviewer. I haven't listened to Fresh she Air is. in a long time. Is she still yeah. going? 
Yeah, she's still going. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, unless, I mean, you know, it's been a couple months since I've listened, but yeah, yeah as far as wow. I know, she's still going. Um, okay, so it's October. October okay. YDAU. All right. October. Yeah. Month ago. Hmm. Still, it had quite an impact for him to still be thinking about it a month later. Mm hmm. It's a kind of horrifying thing to happen to a person. Um, there was. <laughs> Um, I remember on my way to the bus one day, some sort of tree creature pooped on my head. Oh. And so I walked all the way back home so that I could wash my hair out and needed to beg Andrew to drive me to school. Mm -hmm. um, I say tree creature because I don't know whether it was a bird or a squirrel. Um, hmm. And I'd rather not cast aspersions on whatever tree yeah. dweller you know, there was, to poop on me. We, we were just thinking about this. There was that other time that we were walking uh, up towards campus at UWM and a hawk swooped down at us. Oh, yeah! Oh, wow. That was... Yikes! Um, I mean, it was amazing, but it was also kind of frightening. It Terrifying. swooped, like, right mm -hmm. down over our heads. Yeah. Hawks! Yeah, so there's a couple other little things here before we move on to Enfield. There's a mention of what I assume is Joelle and Oren's relationship. It mm -hmm. mentions that Oren isn't after love, that the obliterating trinity of you and I into we was something that Oren felt once and has never recovered and will never again. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, I highlighted that too. Yeah. Not about love or about whose love you deep down desire, by whom you feel betrayed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's, it also says, is it there where it says it? Not and never love, which kills what needs it. Yeah. Kills what needs it. Yeah. So is he talking about his mother? Or is he talking about Joel? No, I, I, think, I think he's talking about part of himself. That there, there was something in him that needed love and that his relationship with Joel killed that part of him. Warren felt that once and has never recovered and will never again. It's so sad. But is yeah, it yeah. Joel? I think was it's Joel his great love Joel. or is it his... Or is it his mother? Mm. Issues. I don't know. I think it's Joel. I, I, I think it's Joel. I don't think he ever really loved Avril. Yeah, I could see that. I think he's always resented her, even as a child. Even mm. before his much younger siblings were born? They're that much younger. They're a few Isn't years Mario younger. Is Mario like than five him. years younger? No, Mario is. Oh, wait, you're right. Five years younger, and huh? Hal is like. Seven six, years younger. Six or seven. Okay. Yeah. Well, hmm. Hal is like right after Mario. Yeah. Okay. So like, because we posited, I, th I think that I think Hal a, is a I think Hal is a year younger than Mario. Like yeah. A year yeah. And he's he's maybe a reconciliation baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but they're much younger than Oren, so right. he was old enough that he may have he may yeah, have been maybe. close to his mother before. Boo Boo appeared. It's possible. And maybe felt rejected. And mm -hmm. That is true. That is entirely possible. We know that Avril's compulsions have gotten bigger. 
and yeah, that she doesn't go outside anymore. Right. Right. Uh, and she used to go to conferences and things, and now she does it all remotely. Doesn't that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> some of us used to, like, go be, we don't really know. what. Maybe she was much more functional and less impacted by her compulsions back when Oren was a little boy. Yeah. Like, before it's... his siblings were born. And so maybe that makes her weirdness all the more traumatic for him because he knew something else before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before we move on, I've got a vocabulary word. Oh, yeah. good. Uh, propitiate. Uh, as in a something the same that will propitiate hope somehow, pay its tribute, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, mm-hmm. It's meaning to make favorably inclined, appease, conciliate. Yeah, so it's almost like almost like an offering to the gods, kind of, is my understanding. Yeah. Or that's one way it can be mm-hmm. used. Yeah, that's kind of what it seems like. So then we wind up at Enfield, and Idris Arslanian is walking <gasps> around in a blindfold mm-hmm. at the oh. uh, at the behest of Corbett Thorpe. Was it Corbett Thorpe? Yeah. Or yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. And it's all because of that kid, that nine-year-old with extreme disabilities that's yeah, he's, supposedly he's blind coming. and he has a soft skull. Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. And they had to delay his entrance, but they're all the, they're fascinated about you know why he's ranked. He's he's really highly ranked already, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as a nine-year-old, and they're speculating on why a blind kid is better tennis i mean you know he seems game for this experimentation to see whether it's all this idea that the the reason dimphna is so good is because he can't see and so he's using he's using sound to better understand the opponent players vaps in more detail by ear than by eye Mm -hmm. um it's funny but though because isn't there already a blind tennis player is that ETA or was it well, like at that ETA. they met? Maybe in the yeah, because I know. Met. Yeah, because when we were in that very first chapter, it mentioned a blind tennis player, but that very first chapter was in the future, so right. it may that's, be. Oh, that's Dimphna. Yeah, yeah, that, maybe so that, Dimphna. That, that, oh. takes, that takes place oh. in the year of Glad. Uh, it says, uh, I have never before faced Dimphna in tournament play nor played with the sonic balls the blind require, but I watched him barely dispatch Petropolis Khan in the round of 16, and I know he is mine. Hmm. But he would be much younger, right? He would be. Why would they yeah. be up against each other? Oh, I mean, only if Dimphna is really that good that he's playing outside he's playing of his, up, a- his age class. up his... Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, weird. That's really weird. Idris is definitely taking this experiment, though, to the extremes. He, he has is. to pee yeah. so bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and he says Thorpe would be really disappointed if he took off his blindfold to find a bathroom. Right. 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 And so he bumps into Ted Shack first, right? Right. Right. Uh, and I, I appreciated him. He said he, he had come out of the the training room, right? The mm-hmm. out of the he made the comment about uh that somebody in pain isn't entertainment. Yeah. And so he left. 
Yeah. Because mm-hmm. what's his name is in there. Anton uh, Doucette. Doucette is in there completely falling to pieces. And right. I thought, well, there's a rare statement of compassion and truthfulness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somebody in pain isn't entertainment. He's in pain. He's uh, he's uh, distressed he's a because breakdown because he just can't understand. He's got some kind of a mental block, and he just can't understand annular fusion, which like right. him and me both. Right, insermagulate <laughs> an, an insermagulate conceptual block. <laughs> yeah, which, which I'm pretty is sure is a made, a made up, word. up word. I tried yeah. to find something that would insurmountable and something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, must, yeah. It's a good little word. Side note, hmm. little side note. The person that teaches that class, right? The that teaches this. Uh, Tex Watson. And did, I looked up Tex Watson. Yeah. Texas Watson was one of the Manson family. What? Oh wow! What? Mm-hmm. Wait. Yeah. What? He was like one of the, one of the ringleaders, one of the take charge people in the Manson family. Look him up, Texas Watson. Okay, I'm 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 looking. Tex Watson, born 1945, an American murderer who was a central member of the Manson family. Oh wow! Wow. This can't be coincidence. He, it can't be the same. <laughs> Well, no, he's still alive now. Mm. Uh, he is incarcerated. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Since good 1969. Know, right? Do we think this is the same person? I don't think. I think that this no, is just a, a name, I think it's a, like a shared name. I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think it's a. No. It's not a. No. It's not the same person, but it certainly is an intentional choice for this. Yeah, absolutely. This, like this. Uh, That's. <laughs> That's so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Do you think, that, do you think he that? means anything by it, or is it just that he liked the name? I think he means something by it. I think he's like... But, but Tex Watson, the teacher, sounds like kind of a bumbling, not very bright, but well-meaning... Tex Watson, the killer, the teacher. murderer, was the youngest of three children, grew up attending Methodist church in high school. He was an honor student, an athlete, and he worked as editor on the school paper. Mm. Went mm. to University of North Texas, Phi I mean, Kappa I'm, Alpha fraternity. I'm I'm not <laughs> seeing I'm not seeing a connection here. <laughs> I'm just saying he was a nice guy. He seemed to be a nice guy, but then mm-hmm. he took uh, he took major roles in the murdering murdering rampage that they went on. I, maybe it's something maybe. about that he's. He is this seemingly nice guy, but he's he's like killing Doucette. He's not meaning to even, but he, he's he's just, he's going he's, he's going above and him. beyond. He's giving yeah. Doucette private yeah. tutoring, and he's yeah. absolutely doing his best. Right. So I don't yep. know. I don't. I, I don't I'm know, not. I'm not. Still not sure it, what to make of this. No. Maybe it's a statement on annular fusion mm. and the whole the whole energy. <laughs> maybe it's more of a statement on the the whole energy situation in Onan and the, mm. we do learn a lot about that even though it isn't almost impossible to grasp and it's pretty it's pretty awful maybe he's m- m- like like he's not doing it but he's maybe he's a image for like murdering the environment mm. I don't know mean old Ted Schacht instead of taking leading uh, the blindfold guy to the bathroom just 
slips away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got this is I just put in my notes. Uh, neither kind of neither here nor there, except based on the way he's talking here. The next person he bumps into is Pemulus. Literally bumps into yeah. is Pemulus. Yes. Um, and it just occurred to me that the way Pemulus talks reminds me a lot of Zaphod Beeblebrocks from the Hitchhiker's oh, Guide books. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yes. Just kertwanging on you, brother. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that exactly. They just seem, I don't know, they're just like cut from the same cloth or something. Pemulus is quite a character, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. he's... I mean, people, so, it's, it's like so, they're, they're, they're the same architect. They're both kind of schemers. They delight yeah. in breaking the rules. Sometimes things don't work out for them and they're deeply insecure under their confident exterior. And yet Pemulus is brilliant. Yes. The more I read about him, little bits here and there. But weirdly, the his, brilliant. his brilliance seems to not figure into his life in any meaningful way. Like he's br- he's he's this this scoundrel ne'er do well, and then he's a genius scientist on the side. He's kind yeah. of a social genius, though, too, in a way. I mean, he's a oh tr- for sure, yeah. Well, maybe it's like Avril with all of her compulsions and her, you know, the things that she deals with to get through her life. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. it's that same, she has all these compulsions and obsessions, and yet she functions really well. What about Pemulus has all these strengths, and yet he has he has some weird function. <laughs> he does, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it doesn't always mm-hmm. play out all that well for him. Yeah. I don't know. So Pemulus- People are not always how they appear, maybe. Right. So, so, so this all leads into Pemulus- uh, explaining annular fusion at great length which i think i think maybe in an earlier episode i said like i really wish that the book would just go out and it, it, like in hard science fiction fashion lay out how annular fusion works and what it's done to the world and this feels <laughs> like that and yeah. i'm not I'm not sure how I feel having my wish granted in this way, because <laughs> a, a lot of it is is still completely incomprehensible to me. And I'm I'm sure that much of it is just kind of like pseudoscientific techno babble, hand wavy kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But but it does give us a little more context for what's going on in the world and like why the concavity exists and what the condition of the concavity yeah, is. Yeah, it's a. It talks more about the the annular growth cycles and how the 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 life in the concavity oscillates really oddly quickly between just barren wasteland and impenetrable jungle. Mm-hmm. Right. And it all has to do with how they need they need a source of like incredibly toxic chemicals in order for annular fusion to work they they need to use those toxic chemicals they like drain the land of toxins so like the Um, paradox is it's like uh is it idra is it i can't say his name aslanian aslanian says something about you know in his country they always think of because he also can't aslanian sorry aslanian he's also struggling to understand annular Mm -hmm. fusion and he says what i say about fusion which is the thing about fusion that's supposed to be so great is that you don't have toxic 
weight. It doesn't produce toxic waste. Right. Right. So that's mm-hmm. supposed to be the advantage. But as it turns out, in the actual development of the of few of this fusion process, annular fusion, is that so it doesn't produce waste, but the problem is that, that it, it requires waste. It, it requires waste as its fuel. Yes. So you got this mismatch thing. And so the the mutant creatures in the concavity are not because of the toxic wastes that are there. It's the total absence of toxic wastes that normally keep our growth growth of humans and plants in check. Yes. So there's nothing there's nothing to stop the growth. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. so it's but actually it's actually whether it makes sense or not, at least at least we understand the a, device now. It's a story of what yeah. is happening, whether there's any scientific basis it's, on any of it. Yeah, and I am pretty sure there's not. Although there are I mean there there are different nuclear power generating solutions now that use like the waste like the waste from one type of nuclear reactor can be used as fuel for a different type of nuclear reactor, which is mm. cool. Um, but mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not quite what's being described here. Uh, it's it's even a little more complicated than that because it's three different energy generating processes. So he says uh, it's a type of fusion that can produce a waste that's fuel for a process whose waste is fuel for the fusion. So it's a cycle. Yeah, it's like it's a he describes yeah. it as a triangle. Right. But you could round it into a, a circle. Yeah, they, yeah. It is a mm-hmm. triangle, but they describe right. it as a triangle. But Right. And, and he equates it to this. It seems like annular has become kind of a buzzword in this society. He equates it to annular chemotherapy, which is this idea of giving cancer to cancer cells mm-hmm. um, as being kind of related conceptually. It mentions Mari, that Mario tries to describe the you know, tries to help Doucette understand too. And he uses the example of the person with his hand nailed to the floor trying to do somersaults, which was mm-hmm. his father's right. uh, inspiration for it. So right. they've definitely, they've definitely talked about it. Somewhere here too, it talks about the veils of the Maya. Oh, uh, that, that's some, something Arslanian says. He says, um, uh, Doucette's trying to understand it and uh, didn't help Booger a, a whole lot to imagine somebody doing somersaults with their hand nailed to the ground. Arslanian says, uh, did not part the veil of Maya. Right. And so I, I looked that up, the veil yeah. of, the, of Maya, which is <laughs> some Hindu reference, I believe. Okay. And I couldn't really find anything that, it, I, I'm, I think probably I had to reach a little bit for this, but it's something sort of the belief that uh, we view life through a series of distorting veils that prevent us from seeing actual reality. Hmm. Huh. That's a so fascinating the, idea. Yeah. And there's, of course, the veil. Right. The veil. <laughs> mm-hmm. Joel and friends, the veil. Mm-hmm. So is the veil help? Does the veil help uh, Joel and her society of whatever? I can't remember what it's called. Or the does union it, of the hideously and improbably deformed. Right. Yes. So it keeps it keeps others from seeing her, but does it also prevent her from seeing actual reality? Interesting thought. Mm-hmm. What does that's, it mean to look out through the veil? It's 
it's interesting that you said that's a that's a Hindu reference. My, I believe it was. Yeah, that was all. I because because uh, Arslanian is a Muslim is a, is mm-hmm. a Pakistani yeah. Muslim. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting that he would reference the the veils mm-hmm. of the Maya. Mm-hmm. We wonder about James O moving from this annular fusion thing, which it turns out. He had some kind of, he contributed to the research for the annular fusion by creative holographic way to study poisons and toxins. Right. Well, they mentioned his, the holographics involved in annular fusion. There, there was a news article about it or like a news headline about it in Mario's yeah. film. And yeah. I said at the time that I I just could not possibly understand how holographics could have anything right. to do with power generating. And I still don't. I, I, right. I don't get that. I don't understand what any of that means. It's just nonsense to me. But then Pemulus also says, he tells uh, Arslan, Arslanian mm-hmm. uh, that optics are way more complex than annular fusion. Yes. Just well, wait until you get to his, optics. Optics his, are way tougher than to understand and more complex than annular fusion. His thesis statement is, yeah, that annular fusion is actually pretty easy to understand. Um, Comparatively speaking. Yeah, comparatively speaking. So the other interesting thing to note here is that they end this interaction by making a deal. Pemulus makes a deal to uh, collect some of Arslanian's clean (laughs) urine. Yes, that he'll take this him is, to the bathroom. So this is this oh, is the eleventh, right? Well, here's he the thing. That. Here's the thing. This is the eleventh, which is after the interaction in CT's office, in which presumably the urine selling operation was busted wide open. Oh, so I guess right. so. It's interesting to me that he's still up. And he's still at this particular grip. He's not buying it, though. Well, he's acquiring it. He's acquiring it, but it's a tray. It's not a. Well, it's not a. I don't. I don't think that ETA's problem with it was that he was paying for the urine. I think. I think ETA's problem with it was that he was selling the urine and using it to pass. And people were using it to pass. Well, drug he's not. Tests. He's not planning to sell this, right? He's not. He's going to use it. Well, when he needs he's it himself, I mean, doesn't he? I got the feeling that he was planning on selling. Ditto. And, and, and I mean, regardless, now that they know that he's involved in these like nefarious uh, schemes, nefarious <laughs> scre- schemes, wouldn't they assume that he's going to cheat on any urine test that he takes? Again, they would. They think that. Would they think that he? I After think absolutely. CT <laughs> is the, the personality of total worry. He absolutely That's would true. think that. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, I'm... But does it, it matter? Does it really matter to, C, to CT if his uh, players it should. cheat? Well, yeah, but does he, it? Here's, here's it, the it thing, though. It matters to him if they, if they were to get caught and ET, ETA were to be uh, well, they were disciplined. He, he, E- right. I mean, ETA, somebody right. from the, right. uh, from Onanta was there at the meeting. Right. We right. don't know what happened in the meeting, but now apparently we know at the very least that Pemulus hasn't been expelled, right. even though they, oh, they right. found this out about him. And 
and that he still th- for whatever reason he still thinks he can get away with this clean well, urine scam. Well, wait though, mm-hmm. have they had the meeting? They yes. haven't actually the, met yet, have the they? The meeting was November tenth. This is November eleventh. No. no. Yes. <laughs> I just checked it. No. Okay. So Wait, so yeah. November November 9th, Pemulus uh, the night of November 9th, Pemulus goes oh, okay. to Avril's office to blackmail her. Oh, okay. November um, 10th, they get ushered into, let me find it. They get ushered into CT's office. He's hidden right behind them from the start, and there's the opportunity for this stagey, incriminating type whirl and kertwang face from Axford and Hal as they see, as they hear Charles Tavis addressing the urine expert behind them, asking him very quietly to please close both doors. That's where we left that on November 10th. On November 10th. Oh, okay. So I'm so very curious. Believe, are we I'm, to believe? So is the November 10th meeting with CT only about the urine issue or is it also about I the assume, eschaton issue? I assume issue? that it's about eschaton. It sounded to me like eschaton was the reason they were there and then they dug up this other dirt on Pemulus just to be extra incriminating. Oh. Okay. I don't I don't know if I'm reading that yeah. correctly or not, but Yeah, my read on it is that it's about eschaton but they believe that the urine um, black market and everything is kind of a part of the eschaton debacle as well, because, you know, uh, the idea is that no one was able to supervise the kids and everything. Oh. So the eschaton debacle happened because okay. everybody was pretty much on drugs. OK. Mm. Hmm. Or just a total failure of I mean, so CT would want to get to the bottom of any student involvement in the debacle, uh, the eschaton fall apart. But whoever oversees the tennis academy world would hold ETA responsible for the eschaton debacle and say, you know, you're not supervising your students enough. Look, this happened. People were injured in this game. Uh, mm-hmm. Where were the where were the supervising adults and and oh by the way the other thing that's happening now it's come to light that there's also cheating with the urine scam and you're also not on top of that and right. so it would all make ETA look really bad really bad and they then they have to like show that they're getting to the bottom of whatever you know. That they're going to do better. They're going to be supervising their students more closely. And these mm-hmm. terrible things will not happen again. <laughs> so anyway, it's interesting to me that Pemulus just walked away from that meeting. I, I really want to know what happened in there and how Pemulus leveraged his blackmail or, you know, how that all, all went down. Right. They left it. They left us without the story. Yeah. When are they going to think about getting back to it? <laughs> it could be any moment. Five hundred pages from now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the last page of the book. Here's what happened actually... in the office. <laughs> yeah, I have another question too. Just a small thing that was it was when Pemulus was explaining how the annular fusion works, and he's been explaining the east concavity. Mm. Uh, but the West concavity is a total different story. Really? I missed that. It was right at the... Yeah. Where was that? It was at the... It's like one of the last things I noted. The Eastern concavity, of course, being a whole different kettle of colored horses from what Ink calls 
the barren eleotical wastes of the Western concavity, let me tell you. Oh, huh. So do we think the Western concavity is in Mexico? I think it's just the Western side of the great concavity. I think mm. the East the East is up in New England, what used to be New England. Mm-hmm. And the West would be over more toward the great, toward uh, Lake Ontario. That's how I'm picturing it. But maybe that's not true. Or maybe the West, maybe there's a Western concavity like in your part of the country, like North Dakota and Montana. I mean, and it would, is it there would make concavity sense. there too? It would make sense that there would be a few, right? Like I can't imagine that New England is doing all the power generation for all of North America. I mean, <laughs> I suppose it's possible, but depending on like distribution so infrastructure it, and, and how productive these fusion processes are. So but I could see the, there being like a West Coast version of this operation. Maybe the Western concavity is more like a uh, uh, stockpile of, the, of oh, waste. That could be. And so it never gets used down to the point where there's no waste there. And so nothing is, so everything is just toxic mm, there. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Eastern concavity, that's where they're pulling the toxins from to run the fusion process. And so it does that cycle or that triangle thing. But yeah. in the place that it's just like a stockpile, yeah, that it never drops, that. maybe. I don't know. And also, there's somewhere that really speaks to how I feel about this whole book. And mm. it's when they're talking about, uh, when Pamulus first starts, starts talking about Doucette and how, you know, he's coming apart over this whole inability to understand fusion. Mm-hmm. And it says, at a certain level of abstraction, the brain recoils. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, oh, that's how <laughs> I feel sometimes when I read certain sections of this book. It's like... Mm-hmm. I just don't get where you're going with this. Yeah. <laughs> and so then we, we jump back to Oren very briefly for just this reflection that Oren has that the people who he thinks are legless and pathologically shy punting groupies, uh, that they seemed weirdly frightened of Helen Steeply and that he hadn't seen them at all when she was around. But now they're back now almost immediately since she's gone. Which would also imply that the Swiss woman is not Swiss. Right. Yes. Can you explain what he's talking about when it says the last sentence? Uh, he's ruminating as he drove. It curtwanged on him that the handicapped man at the hotel room's door had had a wheelchair and that it was the first wheelchair he'd seen since Hal had hit him with his theory. And that the legless surveyor had had the same Swiss accent as the hand model. Who's the surveyor? I think these are just people that he encountered in his in his and day. And what's Hal's theory? Isn't Hal's theory that this is the AFR? I can't remember. Does Hal know about the AFR? Yeah, I think so. They had that that phone call way back at the beginning oh, right. of the book where Oren asked him what he knew about Quebec. And... Oh. Uh, Oh, yeah. So I I think this all relates to that. Okay. All right. Thank you. Does anyone have anything they would like to announce or plug? Um, Even though this will probably be coming out sometime in, say, December or so. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. (laughs) Uh, You stay safe out there. 
And even if you are listening to this in December, celebrate Halloween. Yeah, why not? Why not? Nobody's stopping you. Why the heck not? When you listen to this, get out your Halloween costumes and carve some pumpkins and eat candy. Yes, please. And jump out of Mm. dark corners and scare people. Yes. 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 Of me, uh, uh, that did not come across, so I will give that plug. Uh, if you. you if you are interested in seeing Vinny's paintings, he's on Instagram at cardboardvv. Be brave about your hair. Uh, yeah, make it any color you want and chop it off any way you'd like. Because mm-hmm. who cares? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No one sees you. My website is agingrich.com, where by the time this is out, you'll be able to watch an election-themed short film called No 2020, featuring a cast of characters that emerge every four years to say nothing useful about the presidency. Uh, I'm also on Instagram (laughs) at coffeestopfix. And I'm still working on my website, which is at (laughs) briannacrats.com. Good for you. And I still still have no website. Good. That's but you, you know, could. Keep, I, <laughs> but I, I recommend could. keeping it that way. You know, <laughs> if you don't get a website, that's my advice to our listeners. Don't get a website unless you absolutely need one. <laughs> yeah, or if you have time for a website, get a website. But yeah, yeah websites take a hobby. lot of care. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, a, like a, a cat. Gerbil Are you saying or a, like yeah. getting it's a like cat? getting a dog? You have to walk it and feed it every day. Next time. We'll be talking about pages 575 to 596. Our music is by Jonathan Rigby. You can listen to his podcast, The Land of Random, on Spotify. Thanks for listening, and remember, you are what you walk between. boring to have to depend on crutches mm. and if i am what i walk between then i am a crutch <laughs> oh. oh dear <laughs>